0: Today's uh, scripture reading is from Judges 21, verses 20 through 25. And they commanded the people of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. And when their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, We will say to them, grant them graciously to us, because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle, neither did you give them to them, else you would now be guilty. And the people of Benjamin did so and took their wives according to their number from the dancers whom they carried off. Then they went and returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and lived in them. And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family, and they went out from there, every man to his, to his inheritance. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: All right. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Good to uh, see you here this morning. Great to have you here. Um, if you're new or, or you've uh, never heard me preach before, I want to introduce myself. My name is Dave. I'm, a, I'm the lead pastor here. And um, I just, again, by way of introduction, I have a speech impediment. So just want to make sure that you guys know um, what that is and that you guys all, you know, have a heads up because it'll kind of come in and out as we go uh, here today. And um We're actually going to get into it pretty quickly here this morning. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and uh, turn with me to Judges um, chapter 17. And um, if you don't have a Bible, if you could slip your hand up and keep it up high. Don't do this thing, but keep it up high. Somebody will get you one. Um, También um, si necesitas la Biblia en Español, solamente levanta su mano y diga Español. We want to make sure everybody can have a Bible they can read and understand. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep this one, write your name in it, underline some stuff. There's a hand back there I see still. I got your back. I'm here to help. Um, anyone else? Um, so yeah, we want to make sure everybody has a Bible they can keep and read and understand. And um, with that, actually, while they're hand- handing those out, while we're getting there, let me just give you a heads up on where we're headed here. Um, so this is our last, uh, our last sermon in Judges. Um, some of you might be if, like, sad about that. Um, it's been good, but if you're, you're, that's sort of weird, because it's been a really hard, weird book to walk through, but it's been really good, and it'll kind of culminate... In what we're headed, uh, we're going to be in the last five chapters here today, and it's pretty intense. Um, And just uh, then going forward, um, we're going to start just a brief four-week series where we're going to walk through what it means to be gospel-centered and outward-focused. Okay, As a church, we say that we are gospel-centered and outward-focused, and what that means, we're going to spend four weeks walking through things that are true of you. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith in Him, you're gospel-centered, your identity is shaped by who Jesus is and what he's done and what he declares about you. And there's a, uh, there's a, a compulsion or a, a fruit of that reality. If you're a follower of Christ, there's an outward focused reality there. And so um, we're gonna walk through four weeks that really walk through what that looks like in specific areas. We're gonna talk um, about the image of God, the Imago Dei. If you're created in God's image, that informs how you treat, treat and react and interact with every other human being Um, from every different walk of life. And then we're going to talk about adoption. We're adopted in Christ, and that um, compels us to care deeply about the foster care and adoption um, crisis, really, that's going on, and and, and how we enter into some of those things. Okay, so that's where we're headed. Then we'll have Easter. I know it's crazy, five weeks out. Then we're going to spend two months in Titus. Then we're going to hunker down in the Psalms for a good long while into the summer and then we'll start a new series in the fall. Amen? So that's where we're headed. Um, now, let me um, give you just a warning. Uh, we've tried to catch people with young kids. We'd love if you want to bring your, your kids, that's your discernment in here. But this is really not a good week, to be honest with you. If you have a uh, probably under high school age, you know, it, this wouldn't be a good week. Because the reality of what we're walking through in, in God's word today is heavy. And it's jarring, and really it's our hated um, And uh, with that, I want to give a, a heads up before I, uh, I pray that, that we're going to talk about some things that are um, just really ugly and, and hard and horrific and, and jarring. And some of the realities of abuse in, in its most heinous and ugly forms. And um, a- as we, you know, get into something like this in a group like this, statistically, tragically, Many in here have, have walked through or known loved ones who have been abused in some very ugly ways. And so there is total freedom to get up, to walk out, to stand in the back, to just, um, and I just want to admit from the beginning, this is really hard and it's going to be hard. Uh, I had a lump in my throat a lot, even as I read um, this week, just the ugliness of sin is, is heavy. And so this is going to be a heavy, a heavy week as we're in it together. So let's, let's pray and ask God to really uh, lead us through this time and however he knows that we need. Um, let's pray. Lord, we, we need you. Um, we confess that we, um, uh, Lord, we tend to want to put on earmuffs and, and close our eyes. And um, Lord, to the hard things, the, the realities of sin in the world, today and, and as well as um, uh, some, though, Lord, don't have that option. And, and so, Lord, I pray that you, uh, Holy Spirit, would lead us through this day. I pray that we would, um, Lord, that we as a, as a community would weep with those who are weeping, Lord, would rejoice with those who are rejoicing, Lord, that we would call sin, sin, that we would confess and repent where needed and that we would come um, humbly and expectantly before the feet of Jesus, our, our only hope. And I pray even as we sang songs that kind of set the tone of hope as we now get into the the ugly reality of sin, I I pray that you will oversee this time, Lord, that you will uh, nurture and care for us and lead us and speak to us through your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen so uh to just to bring us up to speed as we get into judges this morning um we've been in a cycle we've seen a cycle that's gone something like this okay or what happened in judges was basically like God's people Israel were delivered from Egypt and it was like church camp right like expectation it's all going to be good now and they were in the land and it was just like okay now flourish now now be my people it's like God said you're my people I'm your God and, and life under my headship, under my kingship, under my rule, it is good and flourish in every facet of life, in your family, in your relationship with yourself, relationship with others, relationship with all of society. It's good under the reign and rule of God in relationship with him. And it's like God's like, go and flourish under me. And God's people come into the land that he had promised them, and like right away, it's like, it's not good. It's, it's sin, and basically sin in a nutshell is not God. Um, sin is saying, yeah, thanks God, but no thanks. We're gonna, we're gonna figure it out on our own. And right from the start, it gets ugly, and we see this cycle that goes something like this. God's people sin. Again, essentially they say, not God. They say, no thanks God, I don't want to do it your way, I want to do it my way, Um, I want to be king, if you will, I want to rule, and then they, they get oppressed, and basically life comes in, sin comes in, it's ugly, and so they call out to God. So there's sin, oppression, and then there's supplication, there's calling out, God help me, and then God enters in and he helps his people, he sends a savior, or he sends a rescuer, but every time it's temporary and it's not complete and it's not a full salvation and then there's a time of rest though and then when that rescuer dies like they just go crazy again and they get all back into it and and that cycle continues and remember this is the last time that we get to say this so this image needs to stick in our heads it's not a merry-go-round the cycle it's a what it's a toilet it continues to get worse and worse and go down and down to uglier places and the cycle ended last week with Samson and if you guys remember, a lot of the parts of it, it was basically sin and then kind of salvation. And the people never even asked for God's help, but God stepped in and he helped them anyway. And then, um, and then this week, the cycle ends. And it's just like, you know, some of those toilets that don't go round and round, they just go, woof, it's like that. It just goes straight down and it's really ugly. And so for five chapters, we're going to see the reality of not God. And I think we need to hear this um, really, really pointedly today because we've kind of grown inoculated to, to not God. We've grown kind of comfortable with, with sin and, and with hell, to be honest with you. Hell we always think of as, as a place to come after death, and that is a reality but hell is also um, a, 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 a current reality for a lot of people. If, if hell in, in a nutshell is going to be not God, it's going to be the absence of God and therefore the absence of all that is good in every way, and one day in eternity that will be, um, that will be a reality for, for all who have not put their trust in Jesus. Again, if you're new, welcome. We always talk about really good, easy, comfortable subjects. <laughs> and, and so... Um, there's also a reality of hell on this earth of, of 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 not god and the reality of sin and yet um this week as i was with my daughter one of my daughters on a day, daddy date we do that you know once a week and i have three girls and one boy and i'm from an all-boy family and yet when i'm hanging out with my daughters i'm starting to learn you know girl time we went and bought earrings and and had a really fun time and we're looking at all this stuff and we're listening to like you know, I don't know, pop music on the, on the radio, and this song came on that I just kind of zoned out and was just kind of beating my head to, and I didn't even know it. And my daughter stopped me and was like, Daddy, what's this song about? It is that... And then I stopped and I listened, and it said um, something like this. Even if we can't find heaven, I'll walk through hell with you. Anybody? You know this song? <laughs> Seems like a popular song. I don't know. It's a very, very catchy tune. Even if, I can't, even if we can't find heaven, I'll walk through hell with you. And, um, and my daughter asked something that I even just kind of ignored. Like, oh, yeah, it's just something people say. And we have this idea, like, hell's where the party's at. You know, hell's, hey, even if we can't have good together, even if we can't, you know, have heaven, as long as I'm with you, like, bring on hell, whatever it is. And, and this kind of numbness to this, this, any idea of, of not God. And, and yet, um, and by the way, I don't, I don't know, the, the artist is um, Rachel Platten some of you younger people are like he had to look at that like you should know that I'm not cool okay I'm not cool I don't even try to be um but Rachel Platten I don't know this it's more of a metaphor for love and I'm not trying to like throw her under the bus here or anything like that but it's more of an indictment on us and our society and our numbness to life apart from God spring on hell you know no big deal and as we get into this um sermon today, it's, we're going to see the gross reality of not God. And in the first two chapters, where we're going to be in Judges chapter 17 and 18, we're going to see um, the reality that when God is absent Tragedy reigns. And so in the first two chapters, we're going to see more of a PG-13 look at that on more of an individual level, and we'll see that, that where there's no king, okay, where God is not ruling and reigning, you have, you have a sad and lonely and disappointing life. But then as we get into those last three chapters, in chapters 19 through 21, we'll see that where there's no king, where God is not ruling and reigning, you have a horrific, tragic, devastated world, So we go kind of micro, more individual level, and then you just go the whole enchilada, all of life. It's ugly apart from God. And guys, last warning before we get into this is this. We can tend to look from afar, right? Like these people, they're crazy. They're so bad, that world today. But if we've learned anything from judges, we've seen we look a lot like these people. And remember, this is written to, and this has to do with God's people. These ugly things, this is the church, some of the stuff that some of these people do it's pastors in our day it's it's the priests it's the people that are supposed to be honoring god and calling others to follow him in all of life and so it's this is guys look in the mirror okay we this is we are looking in the mirror this morning and this is sin this is not god in our faces okay so that's where we're headed let's let's get into it in the judges 17 There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The 1100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. So, what's going on here is this boy basically, when he was a kid, Micah stole from his mom 1100 pieces of silver. And that's a big deal, it's a lot of money. So he steals this amount of money from his mom, and she says something along the lines of, you know, maybe some expletives in there, but she basically said, curse whoever took all my silver, and he heard it, and then as he grows up and he gets older, he's like, hey, mom, um, remember, you know, years ago all that silver that you lost and you cursed somebody? Well, well, that somebody was me. And then his mom goes, oh, bless you. You're such a good kid, and all his other brothers and sisters are like, what? He always gets away with this stuff, and... Um, and so she actually turns it into a blessing. She's like, okay, reverse that curse, bless you. And so she, she just blesses him, and she, and she says, you know, thank you for, for telling me. In fact, let's take all this silver, and I'm going to give it to you. And what goes on here is, is jarred by, by verse 6, by the reality of this guy's life on an individual level, is basically um, he just takes life, and he makes it all about him in a nutshell, and, and so it says, um, "Remember, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes." And so this is like the first ending to Judges, and then in a few chapters later, that'll be the last verse again. We'll see that, but this this is meant to say everything before and everything after, everything about this guy Micah's life is defined by he's the king. Everything in his life is about him. He takes this silver and he melts it down and he makes some idols. He makes some, some, some images. He replaces God, basically, in God's character and says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put God in a box into these images. I'm gonna worship these gods. And then, basically, his, his life goes on. He gets a Levite priest and he takes that priest and he makes it his own. And, and then he gets an, um, an ephod, which is like a vest you would wear. And it's basically the way that you can know God's will. So in a nutshell, what Micah does here is he basically takes everything and he takes Christianity, he takes his relationship with God completely about himself and about his control. He's king. He's in control. And he says, I've got my community. I've got my, I've got my religion. I've got my, 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 my hearing God's will. I've got all this. And I've got it all the way I want to hear it and all the different relationships that really serve me best. Like a lot of us today, not accountable to a community, not accountable to God and his word, but he's in the driver's seat and he's got all these different, all these different splinters of Christianity that he's in control of that always come back to him. And essentially, this kind of blows up in his face um, b- because he's worshiping a false god. And he's worshiping a god that's made in his image. And, and, and we do this so much Today. In the church we choose, and we go to like five different churches, and all the, and we have all these different communities, all these different things, because it all centers around us. And we, we just prayed for the church at large. You know that we are all about the church in every way. But, but guys, let this be a, a harsh call out, a reality, that that doesn't mean just go make it all about you on in an individualism um, kind of level, and just pick and choose from everywhere. Um, you, you, we need to be accountable. We need to be consistent and committed to one another, and we need to have Jesus be the head, and we be his people. And we see here a picture where um, it it blows up when you have a false god in your own image. Okay, are you hearing me? Amen to any of this? And this is is a picture, and this is Micah's life, and and we're going to pick up the speed here early on, okay, because we're going to hunker down as we go. But so that's basically chapter 17 is Micah doing all this stuff, and he's got his whole situation, and he's set. Okay, he 's arrived he's got it. he's got everything just the way he wants it. okay and then he, um, and then we see in, in chapter eighteen, the tribe of Dan comes into the scene. It's like, where have you been? Um, Dan hasn't been around if you've just read through judges. Dan hasn't been in the picture at all, but what you have here is you have, you have Dan, the people of Dan, the tribe of Dan, if you will, that they also said, "Ah, uh, God, we're not going to believe you, we're not going to do what you say we should do, and then they, they experienced some of, the, some of the tragedy of that, and then you've got Micah, who's like, I'm going to be king, I'm going to set up my whole, my whole setup all the way I want it to be, I'm going to get mine, right, like... Kanye West song, like I'm gonna get mine right. And then he so he's got it set up, and then it comes to a head. Because when we have when we have um, false gods in idolatry on an individual level and, and false gods in idolatry on a communal level, those things intersect and it blows up and gets even uglier. And that's what happens here in chapter 18, verse 1. Um in those days there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan uh, was was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no, one, no uh, until where am I? For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe from Zorah and from Eshtaol to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, "Go and explore the land." And then it moves on and they basically came across Micah. And it says, When they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. And they turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here? So essentially what's going on here is the tribe of Dan, way back in chapter 1, God said, Go and do as I tell you to do. He said, Dan, go. You're going to get your inheritance this way. Every other tribe, God said, go get your inheritance and live there. I will be your God. You will be my people Do as I tell you to do. And he said that to each tribe. And it got worse in a lot of cases. And Dan, tribe of Dan in chapter one, basically, they went in, they were doing as God told them for like a second, and then they're like, that looks crazy, that looks too hard, there are people there, we don't wanna fight, we can't do that. And they didn't believe God, they didn't trust his power and his character, and they just left. And so they didn't do as God told them. And so now here we are, all the way at the end, and they're out wandering, they have no inheritance. And so they show up, and they're like, Hey, that, that one kid, Micah, that spoiled, you know, like the only child that has all the stuff. Some of you guys grew up on a street like that. I did. There's like, there's that one kid that has all the snacks and all the all the cool new, you know, remote control everything and, and all the I don't know what kids you know today have, but basically they're jealous. They're like, he's got his setup we should have that it doesn't it's not right that one kid gets it all and we're out here you know getting hammy downs and fighting over everything together so they go in and basically they take all Micah's stuff Micah's not there they take all his stuff and they continue on and they leave they even take his priest okay so they take all his stuff they take his priest they take everything and they're going on and um and and then finally he finds out about it and he's like hey um where's my stuff and then he goes out and he chases after them and he calls all of his friends and he, uh, and, he's, and, and he basically goes and shows up on him and he tries to pick a fight. And then basically the, the tribe of Dan is like, um, okay, I mean, we could do this if you want. You know, you've got a few people. We've got a whole bunch of us. We could fight if you want. And finally, he basically is like, ne- never mind and bows his head and he, and he goes away. Um, sad and and, and broken and empty-handed. And there's a lot more in the story there where Dan, um, because they choose to live life the way they want to do, it's really ugly and messy. They actually kill um, a whole other group of people in order to take their land and their possession and they steal from Micah. But what we see here most pointedly in Micah is you see the reality that when you make it all about you, when you take everything and you get it all set up for you, eventually the bottom falls out every single time when you worship a false god that you have created in your own image when you've when you forsaken god when you've forsaken the way he said life is supposed to be lived you end up sad lonely and disappointed J- just as micah does when god's not king when god's not ruling when god's not in control you're broken and desperate. And, and, and I, think, I think that in Micah's case, it's God's grace that leads him to this point of desperation where he realizes what has been true all along. Like a lot of us, we've got our stuff, we've got it all figured out. I'll just be honest with you guys. Sometimes um, I, I pray for you, for me as well, for us, that God would steal sp- our stuff that God would, would, would take away the, the things that we're holding on to that are making it all about us. And we're not a poverty gospel church. We're not saying you should be ashamed. If, you have every, if life is ever comfortable, then look out because it's coming at you. That's not at all it, but, but the, the call, the clear message should be this. God is king. He is God and we are called to be his people. And life in every way is meant to be lived out of that reality. So if ever we take the good stuff that God has provided and we replace him with that, Hopefully, by God's grace, he blows that stuff up so we see clearly, like Micah, the inevitable end to life apart from him. That he is king and we are his people and life is meant to be lived, thriving out of relationship with him and community as his people. So that's, that's chapter seven, 17 and 18, and it's kind of a PG-13, kind of a fly-through. And again, now we get into the ugly picture of a more of a macro level of life lived apart from God. And now we uh, pick up in chapter 19. In those days when there was no king in Israel, have you ever heard that before? Okay, we keep hearing that. There's no king in Israel. Just to be clear, God's people are doing whatever they want. A certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, who took to himself who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. So just to be clear, this is a different Le- Le- Levite, okay? We just have the Levite priest, right, that got, like, stolen, basically kidnapped by Micah, who was his, like, little special priest. I don't know if any of you want ever see me that way, but I'm not going to be your little special priest like that Levite was. I'm not a Levite, by the way. Um, but... Uh, it, But basically, this is a different Levite, and I'll get into why this is important. And he had a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah, and his concubine was unfaithful to him. She went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there some four months. Then, okay, four months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and to bring her back. He had with him his servant and a couple of donkeys. So it's important that this is a Levite, because the Levite... Set apart. Okay, these were the people that were set apart by God to be prepared at all times to lead God's people to worship in Him. Okay, remember, God's design, God's call is, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the best news. That's how God designed us to be. Where He rules and reigns and where we worship in all of life in light of who He is and His good provision in all of life. And the Levites were set apart. So again, um, it's kind of a hard analogy to say. It's like pastors in our day, but probably the way that we see pastors and some of that's not healthy, right? I've said this before, don't put me up on a pedestal. Don't ever put you know, pastors on a pedestal. But, but the call is to be set apart to equip God's people to live all of life in worship and in service to him. Okay, so that's what the Levites are set apart. And somebody reading this, guys, let me be clear. Reading this, the first couple verses, the, okay, this guy went out and got himself a concubine would be crazy. Like you would fall out of your chair. Wait, what? A Levite got himself a concubine? They don't do that. God's, God's people don't do that. Concubines are what, are, what, um, are what false God-worshipping other people do. That's not what God's people do. You don't go out and get concubines. But just like us. Just like in our day, they blend into society. Okay, God's design all along is that his people would be established as a light to the nations, that his people would be like a shining light. As Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, a city that is set upon a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a a table, but on a lampstand, and from there it gives light to all who are in the household. That's always been God's plan, that God's people would live amongst the community, amongst the society, amongst the nations to show the good Good news of what life looks like, and where God is king, and where God is God, and his people are his people. And the Levites were supposed to reflect that, but what they do is they reflect the surrounding community. They have concubines, they take conventional wisdom, just like a lot of us. Eh, men will be men, you know. Hey, nobody's perfect. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Man, I, I would be, it's crazy how many in Christian churches, Christian communities did stuff that we put God in a little box and we say, hey, this is just what you do. And that's exactly what happened here. And that should jar us. We should say that's not right. So this, this Levite who's supposed to be set apart has a concubine and we will just see this magnify and get worse and worse. So basically, his concubine Um, she leaves him, and and it does say she went out and sinned. She went out and had an affair. She went out and slept with other men, and she left him. And what we'll see as time goes on is likely he's not a good guy. So it doesn't excuse her sin, but it also reveals something about him. As is often the case, and we believe something in this church, that that God calls men to give an account for the leadership in their home and in the church. And just like he did with Adam when Eve first sinned, and God said, Adam, uh, where are you? And he called man to give an account because he had failed. The same kind of thing happens here. And so we get a picture that this Levite is a cruel, uh, mean kind of a man. And so we just assume that life was not good, lived with him. And so she leaves, and she goes and has an affair again it doesn't excuse her sin but it reveals something about him four months go by okay four months go by and this Levite is like I should probably go find my wife now I should probably go after her probably not because he cared her and he he loved her and he said hey that we are one we've been married together and my my covenant partner has left and I'm gonna go pursue her as Jesus pursues his church as God calls husbands to pursue their wives that's probably not what's going on here. Probably in that day. First of all, you didn't have a concubine unless you wanted to show something about yourself. Okay, you had a concubine because you, you, you were prideful and you wanted to show that you had achieved status. And you had a concubine because you wanted to have sex whenever you wanted to have it. So likely after four months go by, this guy's like, hey, I want, uh, I want respect back and I want sex whenever I want it. So I'm going to go find my concubine and she goes with her husband, and he, or with her dad, and he goes and finds her. And he's like, I'm going to go say nice things to her. It's just kind of funny that it says that. And so he goes, and he's like, hey, baby, I'm sorry. You know, Will you please come back with me? And he calls her, whatever. And then this cycle goes on. I won't read, but it goes on where basically he's going to take his concubine back. And her dad basically goes in and starts like tricking him consistently. Her dad's like hey, it's really early in the morning. Why don't you stay a while, eat some food, have a you know, couple more cups of coffee, get going, maybe eat some lunch, then leave. And so they do that, and then he's like, hey, it's so late. Why don't you stay another night and then in the morning? And that goes on, and he's tricking them. And they're basically battling. They never ask the concubine. They never ask this, this guy's daughter what she wants. But they're just like, hey, let's do this. They're working it out amongst themselves. And finally, the Levite... If you're um, kind of, you know, tracking along with me here just to, to share um, where we're at, we're at, uh, we're at like verse um, verses 3 through 8, chapter 19. And so then in verse 9, pick up with me there, they finally, they finally go out. Basically, the Levite says in, in verse 9, he finally said, behold, now the day is waning toward evening. This is the dad. Please spend the night. Behold, the day draws to its close. Lodge here and let your heart be merry. And tomorrow you shall rise early in the morning for the journey and go home. Verse 10. But the man would not spend the night. Like finally, he's like, all right, I know this trick. And he arose and departed and arrived opposite Jabus, that is, or Jabus, that is Jerusalem. He had with him a couple of saddled donkeys. It keeps saying this. And a concubine was with him. When they were near Jebus. And so what continues on is basically they're near um, an alien city, okay? They're not near a tribe of Israel right now. And they're going to go stay there. But he's like, no, 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 that's not safe. That's not safe because only the people of God should be safe. That's not church, okay? We're not going to go there right now. We're going to go to where it should be safe. We're going to, go to, we're going to go look for one of the tribes of Israel, and there we can stay. So finally, they arrive at um, Gibeah of Benjamin. And they, and they arrive at Gibeah, and they go to the square. And this is what you would do in that day. You would show up at one of the tribes of Israel, and you would arrive at the place where you would, um, again, a safe place. Okay, hear me. Because God's call is always, look at me, his call is always that his people would be hospitable to outsiders. That his people have a mandate to live life under his headship and his rule. And that that would inform how they relate with every other human being. And so somewhere tucked, even though this Levite clearly doesn't care about God, doesn't live life, he knows in the back of his head, hey, church is supposed to be safe. God's people are supposed to be hospitable and welcoming, not bending on the truth, but hospitable and loving and kind to every other image bearer of God who comes in. And they're supposed to give a place to stay. They're supposed to open their doors and say, welcome outsider. Hear me? Welcome refugee. Come in. Come and sleep. We'll take care of you. And so... He says, no, we're not going to stay there um, because those people don't know God. We don't know what they're going to be like. But as we'll see, it's, it can't be any worse than where they end up. So they end up in Gibeah of Benjamin, and they go to the square, and um, they sit there, and nobody welcomes them. Right? I don't know the application for us. They show up at church. Nobody says hi. They show up to a, a community of Christians, and nobody says, hey, I know you're an outsider, but how can, I, how can I hear your story? How can I help you? How can I love you? How can I serve you? Man, this should be looking in the mirror, guys. And they show up and nobody welcomes them. And so finally... An outsider, an Ephraimite, shows up and says, guys, what are you doing here at the square? And they say, well, we're waiting for someone, but nobody has given us, no one has opened up their door to us, no one has been hospitable, so we're going to just sleep here in the square. And this Ephraimite says, no, 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 don't don't do that. I'm picking up in verse 20 now. He says, the old man said, peace be to you. I will care for you and all your ones. Only do not spend the night in this square. He knows what's about to come. He knows the horror of the people of God that are not living under the right rule and reign and authority of God. He says, don't stay here, whatever you do. Come with me. Verse 21. So he brought... So he brought him into his house and gave the donkeys feed and they washed their feet and ate and drank. And you get this picture that this outsider, this Ephraimite, opened up his home. He said, come on, I'll feed your donkeys. I'll, I'll welcome you in. You know, you can you know, sleep here. I'll, I'll take care of you. And they're doing that. And then the horror of sin, of not God, is put on display. God's people, remember, this is supposed to be God's people welcoming the outsider and this is what happens I'm going to just read this whole section verse 22 and as they were making their hearts merry behold the men of the city worthless fellows surrounded the house beating on the door and they said to the old man the master of the house bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him that means have sex with him they know, as always to have, in this case, in this context, it's always he knew her, he knew him. Bring out the man that we may have sex with him. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them, which was brave on his part. Okay? He went out this crazy, sex-crazed, drunken, uh, excited, ugly, sin-empowered group of people this man goes out bravely and he says no my brothers do not act so wickedly since this man has come into my house do not do this vile thing again he doesn't just say guys this is evil this is wicked but he also says this guy gets it hey he's hospitable I'm being hospitable he's a guest I'm gonna protect him. You see that, that basically the sin they wanna commit by having sex with this man and the, the fact that they wanna treat an outsider. God writes it that these things are, are right there. He says, no, I've been entrusted with this man's care. I can't let you do this. It seems like he's brave, but then he goes on. Verse 24, behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out now. "'Violate them and do with them what seems good to you. "'But against this man do not do this outrageous thing. "'But the men would not listen to him. "'So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. "'And they knew her. "'They had sex with her and abused her all night until the morning. "'And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. "'And as the morning appeared, the woman came and fell "'at the door of the man's house.' where her master was, until it was light. That's hell. At first, this man is brave and courageous and goes out and confronts these people and says, don't do this evil thing. But then cowardice takes over. Again, it should be welling up in our, in our hearts right here. The, a father, a husband, entrusted with the protection And the leadership of his household, of this guest. And he seized this concubine and throws her out. Says, good luck. She was raped. And again, I just have to say, I know that this is absolutely horrific and jarring and uncomfortable. And this is the reality of not God. God. Sin in this most grotesque form. This is hell. This is hell, and so many people in our world today are experiencing hell, a life of hell. And meanwhile, God's people are sitting back, are saying, "Good luck with that." Verse, uh, verse twenty-seven, and her master rose up in the morning. Somehow these men slept through the night while this was going on outside. And I don't know how, but let me say this. As I heard one man say, the good news of Jesus is this. For some, this earth, this life is as close to hell as you will ever experience. And what we just read can be called nothing less than hell on earth, what this woman went through. The absolute most horrific, most devastating, most tragic reality of sin reigning. She experienced that of not God. And yet the good news, the only good news, and I confess, I don't know what to do with this, except to say the only good news that we have to cling to Is that the message of Jesus is that through faith in him, through his established work of bringing his kingdom once and for all, is that this is as close to hell as we'll ever get. And the other side of that reality is true, that apart from Jesus, this life is as close to heaven as some will ever be. And we've talked about this before, the reality of Jesus, the reality of where we're at. This isn't just a high up theological idea, okay, we've got to embrace this because this is real life, guys. This isn't just... Even if we don't get heaven, I'll walk through hell with you. It's cutesy. The reality of Jesus is this. When he came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and then victoriously rose from the dead, the kingdom of heaven broke in. And so the kingdom of heaven is now. And yet, because of sin, because of the presence of sin, and in in some cases, the the utter reality of not God on display, and sin, and rape, and and horror lived out, is is that hell is still present and so we have the presence of God's kingdom here today and yet there's a not yet reality there's a not yet reality of God's kingdom that one day when Jesus comes and restores his kingdom and brings it in once and for all he puts away um, hell and sin and all its effects and there's also a not yet reality to hell that so far on this earth we've never yet fully understood the full implications of God fully backing away. Because His presence is still here. It's supposed to still be here through His people, through the church. His common grace is still here. But one day when, when that day comes, hear me, because we care, and the message is this, We care so much that some people are experiencing hell on earth right now that we want to proclaim by entering in, by sitting in solidarity, by weeping with you, by saying this is as close to hell as it's ever going to be. And I don't know exactly how that can make sense, but it is. And because we care, we also need to proclaim and not shy away from the hard reality of hell that apart from Jesus... If you don't know him, this is as close to heaven as you will ever be. And hell is not a trite thing that we can just make songs about. And as it continues, the man, I can't even believe it, wakes up, verse 27, and just says, Hey, come on, let's go. Hey, get up. Act like it's all right. Put on a smile. Pretend like that didn't happen to you. Let me say, I pray that church is never that. Hear me, if you're here, if you've experienced this kind of abuse, if you know those who have, this is a place where we wanna hear from you, we wanna pray with you, we, wanna, we don't have all the answers, we're not gonna sermonize you, we wanna help get help wherever that is. We wanna enter in with you as God's people are called to do because Jesus entered into the sin and the brokenness and the mess that we live in. And yet this guy gets up and says, get up, but she can't. She's dead. So he throws her on his, on his horse and he goes on. And, and what's, I'm just gonna sum up these last two chapters because I think we need to stay in the place where we are and we need to end in the jarring reality that Judges has us in right now. Basically, this guy goes... He doesn't care about his wife, but he acts like he does. He goes and he cuts up her body into 12 pieces, it says, and he sent them out to all the tribes of Israel and he calls for help. I mean, I don't know what kind of sociopathic hardness of heart this is, but let me tell you, it's some distortion of the image of God and it's the reality, it's the trajectory, it's the cycle, it's the toilet bowl that every one of us knows, maybe not to this extreme, but it's the ongoing implications of sin. If you just get really comfortable with sin, if you get really comfortable with not God, that's where this guy is and it should be in our face obvious. This is what happens when there's no king, when God is not ruling and when we all just do what's right in our own eyes. There's, it's, it's a false narrative. You're lying to yourself and you have believed lies if you hear And think, hey, as long as nobody gets hurt. But we've seen the reality that that's just never true. People will always get hurt when we worship false gods made in our image. And we replace God as king. And we all do what's right in our own eyes. And so this guy goes and basically Tragedy unfolds, he calls all the tribes together, they come together, they say, what is this horrible thing? By the way, he forgot to include himself in the whole scenario. He says, these people did this. He doesn't say he was sitting inside, he doesn't talk about his own sin of, of, of omission, of backing off and being like, hey, good luck with that. So they go on a rampage, and they kill, and then they kill all the tribe of Benjamin, and then they blame God, just like we do when we do what's right in our own lives, when we replace God and tell him, stay where I put you, and then, and then all, all hell breaks loose, and we say, where were you, God. That's what happens, and they blame God, and they basically say, "Um, our brothers who we just murdered and killed and, and killed all these thousands of people, they don't have any wives now, so they're gonna be wiped out, and oh, I know, aha, let's go get them some wives. So what they do is they're like, oh yeah, we made an oath about this, and then we made an oath about this, so let's go kill that one group of people that didn't show up to help us when we fought the tribe of Benjamin, and let's go steal their wives, but they didn't have enough, so now, what? Do we, oh, I know. And then that last part that we just read. Ah, brilliant plan. We'll go steal these women while they're dancing. Just stop. Just stop justifying. Just stop trying to make up for it. Stop and repent. We have chosen not God, no thanks, on an individual level and on a corporate level. And repentance is stop and turn to God. Say, God, I have been king and I have done what's right in my own eyes. We have been king and we have done what's right in our own eyes. But they just continue. And like like a car wreck, like slamming on the brakes, Judges simply ends. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And the, and the audience reading this, okay, we went through, through the book of Ruth like a year ago, and um, we, we spent a lot of time talking about that and God's provision, and this did set the table for the king to come in, for King David to come in, but the, the obvious application where we are is the jarring question, guys, where we end today is this. There's no king, and when everyone does what's right in his own eyes, it is horrific individually, communally, globally. And the pregnant pause that we're left with is how are you going to respond? Are you going to live as if there's no king, as if God's not king and just keep doing what's right in your own eyes? And hopefully we're left saying, no, no, I need a king. And the answer to that question, to be clear, can never be. Look at me. It can never be. This is an absolute statement. You can never answer that question and say, no, I'm just going to not have a king, not have any ruler, and not worship anything. I'm just going to keep cruising through life and just... That's not an option, okay? I just Atheism and agnosticism on a practical, real-life level is not an option. Okay, this is a, a declarative statement. You, if you're human... You will always be ruled by something and you will always worship something. You're always going to circle your life around something. There's a lot of questions I could ask you to help surface. What do I worship and what am I ruled by? So again, there's no king in Israel. Everyone does what's right in his own eyes. There's no king and everyone does what's right in his own eyes. So who are you going to be ruled by and who are you going to worship? Is it going to be yourself Is it going to be something else that brings pleasure temporarily? Is it going to be fame and lust like this Levite? Is it going to be respect and pleasure? Or is it going to be Jesus? Is it going to be the king who doesn't say, go out for the night, good luck with that. I'll find you when it's over. Or is it going to be the king who says, I'm going to enter into that. I'm going to enter into your pain, your suffering, your weeping, the horror of life apart from God. And in fact, I'm going to take it on myself. I'm going to take the consequence. I'm going to take the effect of that kind of not God, hellacious world that my my creation has made. And I'm going to put an end to it by dying on the cross. And then Jesus says, I'm going to bring you good news that somehow, and again, I confess, I don't know exactly how, but hear me, the good news that we're called to respond to today is this. Jesus says, somehow, I will make sense of this, not by brushing it aside, but by bringing it into light, by judging horror and evil and sin, and by making new all that has been broken. Somehow Jesus will turn tears into smiles. Somehow he will turn horror into gladness. He will turn weeping into laughing. He will turn questions into answers that only he can give. And so the call today is, will you repent? Will you just turn? There's no king And everyone does what's right in his own eyes. But will you turn to Jesus? Will we now respond to Jesus? Let's pray. Um, Man, God, I I feel... um, We feel the weight of sin... Or this is R-rated and ugly and horrific and not because it's or because it's real. Because you've written your word to enter in and to inform and to speak into our real lives and the reality of hell. Hell on earth, hell in eternity. Or the reality of not God. And and I trust that you have written it in such a way that this jarring whiplash that we're experiencing is supposed to be there to wake us up from our numbness. Lord, we confess, I confess as a pastor, as a church, we confess where we have hidden inside or where we have put on blinders and earmuffs and said, I don't wanna, I don't wanna embrace the reality of sin on this earth. But Lord, you have put it in our face and shown us and the only answer we have is to turn to Jesus. And so I don't know what that means for every individual, but I know that it means we can enter in. I know it means we can pray. I know it means that we can take the earmuffs off and the blinders off, and we can say, I'm sorry. We can say it's not how it's supposed to be, and somehow we can say, but Jesus. Lord, lead us into the good news of Jesus, replacing sin with hope. And forgiveness. And giving the good news of a life. An eternity. Informed. By you making all things new. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.